If you want, you can take out your, um, your bulletin on the inside. And very quickly, we're going to just get started by reviewing. And we're continuing today our series, Heaven Open. And the title of today's message is Humble Hunger. Come on, somebody say, Humble Hunger. We'll get to those main points here in a few minutes, but to start out today, I'm going to be reviewing some of the very same things that we looked at last Sunday. Why? Not to repeat it just for the sake of repeating it and not to fill in time in a message because I didn't have enough to preach. Y'all know I don't have any trouble with that. But because I felt like the Lord says, I want my people to get this stuff in their spirit. We need to let this get on the inside of us and begin to move us in a new way. And so uh, this is our theme verse for, um, for this series, Ephesians 2.22. If you'd like to take a look at the screen, it says, And in Him, that's in Christ, right? You too. And we did it last week. We're going to do it again this week. Point to somebody and say, You too. You too. Come on, not just a select few. You two are being built together. This is not a one-man show, and you can't live a one-man, one-woman Christian life. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. That is the purpose of the church on the earth, to be a dwelling, to be, quote-unquote, What in the Old Testament, they would have called a temple, a tabernacle, a dwelling place, a house of God. We are being built together to be the house of God where God lives on the earth. And no, it's not this physical building or any physical building. But wherever we come together, we are being knit together and built together, the Bible says, to be the dwelling place. Where God literally lives by his spirit. And we are praying and believing that in 2019, we'll see heaven open over us like never before. It is a year of increase of his presence, an increase of his power and his glory in our lives and in our midst. And you guys, I said it last week, but we're not asking God for a visitation. We're not asking for a few good meetings. We're not asking for a... Uh, you know, to have some special services where the anointing and the presence is stronger than, than other times. No, we're believing God to raise us up as a dwelling place for the manifest glory and the manifest presence of God in our city and in our generation. Does anybody want to be a part of that? Can anybody believe with me for that? And since the day of Pentecost, I'm, I'm going to go through this stuff really quick because we went through it last week, all right? Y'all ready? Since the day of Pentecost... Heaven has been open for business, right? Heaven has been. I was even this morning as I was praying and getting ready, it was, I was just, you know, when you know something, but then it hits you again. It's like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not waiting for your spirit to come. I'm accessing all that's already available. I'm not waiting for revival to come. I am accessing, I am seizing that which has already been available because heaven is open and a lot of times you know we pray and we sing songs that say more lord right more lord we want more lord we just sang it and prayed it right but what we're not asking is really for god to do anything new what we're asking is for god to get us in the right position to experience all that has already been made available right because i'm sure we can all agree 
And if we don't all agree on this point, I believe the Lord will make it clear like Paul said, right? I believe the Lord will make it clear. There is more than what we are currently experiencing. If the Bible is true, anybody believe the Bible is true? If the Bible is the infallible, inspired word of God, and what I read in the word of God, and not only that, if what I see going on around the world as the Holy Spirit is being poured out, if all of that's true, then I am lacking. How about you? There really is more available than what we are currently experiencing. But listen, it is not about God pouring out more of himself. It's about us aligning and positioning ourselves to experience what he's already made available through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? It's not about... God releasing the river, even though we sing, let the river flow. We sing songs, that's a really old one, but we sing songs about the river, right? And we're asking God for the river, but it's not about God really releasing the river. It's about us letting the river overflow from our spirit, that which has already, already been made available and flow into our midst and in our world. We aren't waiting for the rain of heaven. This is one of my favorites. We aren't waiting for the rain of heaven. We are living in the time of rain. We're not asking God, let it rain, right? Even though we sing, let it rain, right? And that's a good prayer and it's a good song. But what we're not asking is God for God to pour out the rain of heaven. We're literally recognizing and accepting the fact that the rain is being poured out and we need to get under it, right? We need to experience it and receive it. The people of God aren't waiting for revival, even though many of us are. But we shouldn't be waiting for revival. Revival is waiting on us. <laughs> revival is waiting for the people of God to live under the open heaven that's already been open since the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is being poured out, but not everyone is positioned. And this is where we went last week, all right? The Spirit is being poured out. But not everyone is positioned to receive it. The presence of God is manifesting, but not everyone is hosting him. His presence is available, but not everyone is accessing it. Jesus is knocking, according to Revelation 3, by the way, on the door of the church and not the world. In Revelation 3, Jesus is knocking on the door of the, the church not the world, but not everyone is opening the door and allowing him in to come in and have an experience with him, right? And our mission is reach, disciple, and revive. We talk about it all the time, to reach people, to proclaim the gospel. To, and, and, and today, if you don't know Jesus, today is your day to know Jesus, right? To disciple, to make disciples, not just people who know about Jesus, but people who follow and love Jesus, but revive. And I said this last Sunday, and I want you to get this in your spirit because this is who we are. One of our main goals as a church is to develop an atmosphere of sustained presence. This is what we mean when we say revival all the time. An atmosphere where his presence is sustained, right? Last Sunday, we learned about how to properly what? position ourselves to host the presence and the glory of God. And we learned that both from Scripture and history, 
that prayer positions, sorry, that prayer positions us under the outpouring of God's unlimited supply of the Holy Spirit. Any time in scripture or history that there's ever been a quote-unquote revival or an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's always come where there was first an atmosphere of prayer. We saw that in the book of Acts, right? Prayer positions us under the open heaven. And y'all, what a wonderful week. What a wonderful week of prayer and fasting. There literally were, we, we had several, you know, we've been having lunchtime prayer and then Saturday brunch time prayer and then late night Friday night prayer and we have Wednesday night prayer and there were several times when I came in here during the week when when no one was in here but he was in here <laughs> I, I I think it I don't remember what day it was Thursday right Nate when Nate came in here to uh, to I wish I had the picture to show y'all but when Nate came in here to edit a video and he ended up like lying on the floor here in the front because the presence of God the presence of God is is here but this isn't it. There is more. And so we've learned, and I want to encourage you again. I know many of you made it out to pray one day, two days, seven days this week to one of the meetings. Come to one or seven of the prayer meetings this coming week because we're positioning ourselves under the open heaven. And prayer, prayer is the atmosphere that attracts the presence of God, but... There's more to it than just prayer. There's more to it than just prayer. And that leads us to today's message. If you want to, again, follow along here. Humble hunger. Humble hunger. Prayer is first. Prayer is essential. But there's more to it than just prayer. We're not trying to start a prayer movement. We want a God movement that prayer initiates and sustains, right? There's more to it than just prayer. In fact, you can pray, 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 pray. But if you don't have what we're going to talk about today, we won't get very far. There is a need for humble hunger. People that are hungry act differently than those that are not hungry. Can I get an amen? If I go out to a restaurant and I'm really not all that hungry, and oh, Charlie's brings out their basket of buttery hot bread, but I'm not hungry, eh, I might nibble a little bit because it tastes good, because it's hot and it, get, it smells good. But y'all, if I'm hungry, they're going to need to bring more bread in a matter of about two minutes. See, when people that are hungry act differently. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes but my own. But when we're hungry for God, we act differently than when we're not. We can pretend to have it all together. We can pretend to be okay. Or we can actually think we're okay and that we really don't have all that much need. But in reality, we do. But because we're not hungry, we don't act like it. There 
is a table prepared. There is a heaven that is open. There is a bread of life that is hot and steamy and ready right before you, right before me. But how hungry I am for him will determine how I act towards what's available. And it has so much to do with humility. Just really quick as we get into 2 Chronicles, if you, you don't really have to turn there because there it will be on the screen. But 2 Chronicles 7, um, the backstory of this is King David had, he was a presence of God junkie. Okay? He couldn't get enough of God's presence. That's all he wanted. Read the Psalms. David longed for the presence of God. He longed for the presence of God so much that he had it in his heart. I want to make, I want to build a temple where the presence of God can manifest. I want to build a temple, a tabernacle, a place for the presence of God. Now, David knew that God couldn't be contained in a temple. Come on, somebody. David knew that, you know, the, the Bible says not even the heavens can contain him. But David had a desire to have a place where God would, like, choose that place to manifest his presence. Like he did where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, right? He wanted, but, you know, David was a man of war and God did not want uh, that worship, that type of worship environment, presence environment, to be built upon war but upon peace, okay? And so it's not because God did not, um, God did not punish David for being a man of war and not allow, allow him to build the temple. God simply did not want his temple to be built in a time of war but in a time of peace. So he told David, in, in, in short, your desire is... After my heart. We know that God says that about David. But you're not going to be the one to build the temple. It's going to be your son Solomon. Okay? And so we get to, uh, you know, David. And then Solomon wanted a place for God's name to be honored. A house of worship. A house of prayer. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, uh, verses 11 through 16. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord. And I encourage you to go and read about it. It was magnificent. It was amazing. And as well as the royal palace. And he completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then, one night, he had an encounter, right? This is not the only time Solomon had this type of encounter with the Lord. But it says, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard. Man, I don't know about you, but I could stop right there and we could be done. I just want to know that he hears. <laughs> He says, I have heard your prayer and chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. That was worship, right? At times, we don't like this part. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. Or command grasshoppers to devour your crops. Or send plagues among you. God did that. God did that. I don't believe in the judgment of God. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because sin warrants judgment. Right? Okay? 
Again, like I talked about in the tithes and offerings, if God treated the obedient and the disobedient the same, there would be no justice. The justice of God demands judgment, right? So he said, at times this might happen. Then, if my people who are called by my name will what? First thing it says, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or repent, right? I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My goodness. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple. Man, I want him to choose this temple. I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I'll always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. <sighs> Amen. I want us to go through this scripture, sort of phrase by phrase, and I'm going to go like boom, boom, boom. So you're all ready to go with it? Ready to go with me? All right. I have heard, we're going back to the top. The first thing he tells, when the Lord appears to Solomon, the temple has been built, and, and already there's been the manifest presence in the temple and all that, the tangible glory of God has come and all this stuff, right? And the Lord has, first thing he says is, I have heard and I have chosen this temple. All right, if you're following along, Solomon's prayer got God's attention. Solomon's what? prayer he says i heard your prayer <laughs> solomon's prayer got god's attention god didn't need a temple but he chose it because of the heart behind it god didn't need and doesn't need a temple god doesn't need a special building or even a special group of people to manifest his glory and his presence but in this case, he chose this temple. He could have rejected it. Because how many times do we read that God rejected their worship? It, that, because their heart wasn't in it. But because of the heart behind the building of this temple, which was a place for his name to be honored, a place for his presence to manifest, a place to offer worship according to the law, according to, the, to, to his words, right? He chose it. Man. Oh, that God would choose encounter church like that. And I, again, don't get me wrong. I don't have false doctrine on this. I promise. God doesn't choose a building. But he does move more powerfully and manifest his glory in a more tangible way amongst some people than he does amongst others. His very own people. And it is not because we're better than or we deserve it more than anybody else, but because I want, like Solomon did, I want our prayers to get his attention. Why are we going into 2019 and making Encounter Church more of a church of prayer? Because we already prayed a lot. We're going to pray more and we're going to continue because I know we're not trying to get the attention of a God who doesn't want to give his attention. He wants to. He longs to. 
But it is our prayer again that positions us in the gaze of Almighty God. The heart behind it caused God to choose this temple. And you know, again, let's go to the part we don't like. And please, I want, to, I want you to listen to this with an open heart and an open mind. This is not just an Old Testament principle that was obliterated when Jesus came. Come on. The, we, we don't have the New Testament and we cancel the Old Testament. The New Testament is the continuation of the very testimony of the same God who revealed himself to and through Israel, right? Okay, because a lot of people read this and go, wow, I would hate to live in the Old Testament. Well, me too, but... Don't, let's not dismiss the reality that this can still happen. Sometimes God's blessing is withheld because of disobedience. Sometimes we are not experiencing all that God has for us, including the, the level of his tangible presence in our life, or the fulfillment of his promises and blessings in our life. Because we tolerate sin. And God can't. He can't and he won't. You know for them it was grasshoppers and, and drought. That's just symbols of. With the, the, the withholding of God's blessing from his people. The same God who the Bible says calls it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because he does. But there are times when God's blessing is being withheld from his very people. Because we, his people, called by his name, are tolerating things that he does not approve of. In our lives. In our families, good Lord, in our churches. And God wants to, but cannot and will not manifest himself in the midst of our tolerating sin and disobedience. Now, there's good news because of Jesus. Okay, we'll get to that. But God, again, remember, he wants to bless but sometimes does not, cannot. And then let's get to the main theme today. The next verse says, Then, if my people who are called by my name, come on, anybody in here a Christian, will humble themselves. And this is where a lot of times I get it all wrong. Because if I keep reading the scripture, I might do the other stuff that we're going to get to. But it must first, this must first happen. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. What does it mean to humble ourselves? I could give you a big dictionary definition or theological explanation but basically what it means to humble myself is this i am not okay and i don't have it all together 
That's what it means to humble yourself before God. I have a need. How hard is it? Let's, let's not even talk about God for a minute, but how hard is it sometimes if we're not humble people, is it for you to share a need you have with another person? Now, some of us may be good at that, but some, when there's pride in the way, I may be, I may be in the middle of a desperate need, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm not humble. I might have a desperate need, and you might have what it takes to meet my need and be willing to give me what it takes to meet my need, but I'll never have that need met if I don't tell you. Humility says, I don't have it all together, and I'm not okay. I have a desperate need, and unfortunately, unfortunately, the church doesn't act like this most of the time. Unfortunately, the people of God, we don't act like this most of the time. I'm not saying this to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm telling you it hurts mine. A lot of the times I don't act like this. Like I have a need for Jesus. Because I know I have him. I know he's with me. I know he's blessing me. I experience his presence here and there. But if I just, listen, if I just pause and actually Look at my heart. Whoa. I have a need for him. And so we come into his presence, and the table is set, and the bread is hot. The meal is ready. Heaven is open, and the rain is falling. But because I am not humble, I don't eat it. I don't access it. Because I'm okay. I've come into the presence of God feeling okay, so I really didn't go after him that much. Am I the only one who's ever done that? You know, I'll confess to you personally, I... When you're a pastor, when you're a leader, and you've been in revivals, and you've experienced the presence of God, and you've seen miracles, and you've seen God do miracles through your own hands and through your own life, sometimes you come into the presence of God, and you forget how needy you are, how much I need Jesus, how much do you need him? I think the bigger question is, how much do I realize that I need him? How much do I pause and ponder how needy I am of the Lord. If not, I'll come in. I'll nibble a little bit here and there. I may even watch those that are hungry, you know, scarf it down. And I may even think, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> come on, you know, if you're not that hungry and you go to a restaurant and you sit with somebody that is and they inhale it all and you're like, dude, your wife didn't feed you at home or what? Like, mama didn't cook nothing good last night? But y'all, we act like that when we see people that are desperate and hungry for God. Like, what are they doing? Like, why are they so intense? And, 
You know, why are they so, they seem so radical and so passionate and why do they like cry and stuff? And, uh, you know, why do they get on their knees? Why do they go to the altar? Why does this whole, why do we do all this altar call stuff all the time? Listen, I, I, be careful when you think things like that because what that reveals is a lack of hunger in my own self. Now, thankfully, there's plenty of bread to go around. You don't have to steal your neighbor's roll. <laughs> the supply of the Holy Spirit is unlimited. <laughs> but we've got to be humble in the way we approach the presence of God, in the way we pray, in the way we talk to Him on a daily basis. I'm hungry for you, Lord. And I'm hungry enough to humble myself and recognize my hunger. Or I'm humble enough to say, Lord, I've eaten a bunch of junk. I put a bunch of junk in my spirit and I don't feel hungry for you. And so I'm coming to you anyway because I realize how much I need you. Come on, say, Jesus, I need you. And then it says, and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Humble, hunger, praise. See, humble hunger says, the first one I think it says there, humble hunger says I need God. But humble hunger also prays. Why? Because of my need, because I realize my need, I consciously, intentionally make a place for his presence and his voice and his direction in my life. If I'm hungry, I go to the restaurant or I cook. <laughs> If we're really hungry, we do something about it. And he says, if you humble yourselves and pray. This is an intentional making a place for the presence of God in my life, right? And then it says, and seek my face. Humble, humble hunger. Humble. Come on, somebody. <laughs> humble humber. Humble hunger pursues a relationship. I was thinking about this week because it says, he says, seek my face. He doesn't just say, seek me, right? He says, seek my face. I want you to think about this. When you're truly interested in someone, you look into their face or into their eyes, not just what comes out of their hand. I promise you, you treat your boyfriend different than you treat your barista. And if not, you got a major issue. <laughs> he might not be your boyfriend for long. Listen. When you're interested in someone, you actually look into their face, into their eyes. Like you are interested in what they, because I mean, you basically tell everything about somebody by their face, right? Okay. When I go to Dunkin' Donuts and ask for my large coffee with honey and light cream, I don't look them in the eye. I'm looking, waiting for it to come out of their hand. Give me my coffee, right? And see, because I don't have a relationship with my barista at Dunkin' Donuts. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm making a few friends. But, but you know what I'm saying? We treat people different when we're interested in them. But sometimes we treat God like a, our barista. I want this, Lord. And you're just waiting for the answer, right? What about his face? 
what about the way he's looking at you? <laughs> Seek faith. Humble hunger pursues a relationship with God. It's about relationship, not just the reward. It's about the blesser more than the blessing. We don't just seek God to get him to do something. We seek God to get him. Come on, I think I need to say that one again. We don't just seek God to get him to do something. Although he wants to do something. But we don't seek God just to get him to do something. We seek God to get God. To get him. And then the next phrase says, and turn from their wicked ways which by the way you can't do that without humility so it all goes back to humility okay it says and turn from their wicked ways humble hunger is brokenness humble hunger is brokenness it's repentance in this scripture all right in this scripture this phrase and this word means the same thing that Jesus told the churches in revelation all right? Are y'all with me? So I want to say that again because I want you to see this. The, the feeling of this phrasing here is the same feeling that goes along with the phrasing of what Jesus tells the churches in Revelation. So don't be fooled into this isn't applicable to Christians. This is the same kind of thing Jesus told the churches that they needed to do this. And this is what this, this, this phrase means. To turn back when you've gone astray. To turn back when you've gone astray. See, our flesh tries to keep us even, to just keep us away from this topic. We don't even like to talk about it. We don't even like to talk about repentance, right? We, we, it tries to keep us away. And, and because we don't even, we like to, the, the way I go about it more, my, what my flesh normally does is just more try to like ignore my shortcomings, right? You just kind of want to avoid the topic. Am I the only one? Oh, Lord, pray for me. Okay. But the, an attitude of humility is I must be honest and own up to it. I just need to own up to when and how I have strayed from God in his ways. Because even as we follow Jesus, there are times, there are times when maybe my heart is not where it needs to be. It may not be going in the right direction. And I may be doing some stuff or thinking some things or acting in some ways or treating some people or using some words or whatever that I'm not, I, I'm not supposed to. Even somebody who's made a decision to follow Jesus. Have you ever find your, found yourself following Jesus? And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, where's Jesus? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Not that he's left you or abandoned you or, or that you've really abandoned him. It's just sometimes we get off. <laughs> Come on, anybody, ever, anybody else ever got off? And we've got to own up to it. Humility owns up to it. See, pride ignores it, overlooks it, avoids that conversation. But humility owns up to it. And yes, this is for everyone, everyone in the room. If you are an absolute lost sinner, far from God, you've never known Jesus, this is for you. Repentance is for you. Repentance is for the backslider. If you follow Jesus but you're not really following him right now, this is for you. And this is for the holiest of holy, saintly disciple in the room. 
Because this is me progressively turning from my ways to God's ways. Because I'm positive I'm not the only one who can attest to the reality that the day I turned away from this world and turned to Jesus, maybe I didn't turn all the way. <laughs> or maybe my heart really turned all the way, but my life haven't, hasn't caught up with that yet. See, repentance starts when we get saved, when we first declare Jesus is our Lord, and we turn away from sin, and we leave our, our old life behind, right? But as I get closer to God, the more I realize I'm, I need to become more like him. And so if I'm going to become more like him, I need to become less like me. And so this attitude of humility that's brokenness says, I'm going to progressively, the rest of my life, for the rest of my days, I'm going to turn away from my own ways and turn to God's ways, right? I'm going to turn my heart away from myself and my selfishness, and I'm going to turn my heart to God and his heart and his ways. See, we can never... Come on, somebody, who doesn't need this? <laughs> who doesn't need that? Holiness is progressive. We can never get enough, and we can never cease to grow in his holiness. Tommy Tenney said, we want God to change the world, but he can't change the world until he can change us. We want God to change the world, and that's great, and, and he will. Huh. But the way he has chosen to change the world is through you and me. It's through his church. And we, the church of Jesus, need to become more and more and more like Jesus, which requires brokenness, repentance, constantly turning away from ourselves and our ways to him. And then he says, get near the end of it, he says, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. I mean, that is a mouthful right there. And then he says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive and I'll watch over it because it's dear to my heart, right? Humble hunger gets God's attention. And this is something that really encouraged me this week because us proclaiming a time of fasting and prayer and coming in here and having, having more prayer and, you know, like I talked about last Sunday, making the environment of our, my heart more prayer, I know that we're getting his attention. <laughs> He's not overlooking this. So don't believe the lie of the enemy. I pray and pray and pray, but it seems like God is just overlooking me. He is not overlooking you. You have his attention just keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing on. His attention is what I crave. How about you? God doesn't overlook my seeking. Humble hunger experiences not only God's attention, but humble hunger experiences God's wonderful forgiveness. But Liz and I had a conversation about this this week, about how sometimes we act. We act like we don't need forgiveness. We act like we don't need forgiveness in the presence of, we come to a prayer meeting or worship service and let's just take some time to pour our hearts out before the Lord and repent and just get our hearts right with God. And it's just, you know, a lot of times people just stand there kind of like, can we get to the next part? Like, we, like, like I don't need forgiveness. Huh. I don't need to beg for forgiveness. 
I don't need to earn forgiveness. I don't need to buy forgiveness. I don't need to perform for forgiveness. But boy, I need forgiveness. I need to experience forgiveness, right? Forgiveness, this is something we got to grab a hold of. Forgiveness was provided through the cross of Jesus Christ. But only in humility and brokenness do we actually fully experience forgiveness. We need do nothing to obtain forgiveness. Forgiveness was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness was purchased by the death of Jesus on the cross. But the only way I truly experience it in my heart is when I come with an attitude of brokenness and humility and repentance. It's then when I actually feel it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord and he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. There is a time for repentance and it is a gift. It is a calling. It is an opportunity. It is not a right. I don't have the right to repent. I have the privilege of repenting. It is an invitation. Repentance is an invitation. I've preached this again and again. Let me just say it again. Repentance isn't negative. It's positive. Repentance isn't God pointing his finger at us and saying, wrong, bad, bad. Repentance is saying, you know you're going the wrong way. Or if you don't know, I'm telling you, you're going the wrong way. And I'm inviting you to come the right way. It's an invitation. It's a loving invitation. There's a time. It's a gift. It's a calling. Jesus already paid the price, but I have to respond in order to receive. Come on, Jesus paid the price for everybody, but doesn't everybody receive it? (laughs) God's forgiveness is generous. And finally, I will heal or restore their land. And this, this got me this week. When God's people seek him, it can affect a whole city or nation. When God's people do this, when God's people have humble hunger and they seek him like this with, their, with a need for God, the pursuit of his face, a pursuit of his relationship, a relentless turning away from the world and from sin and from darkness and pursuing God and his holiness and his presence, it won't just affect the people of God. It can affect a whole nation, a whole city. He didn't just say, I will heal my people. He says, I'll heal the land. Our whole land, our whole city, our whole nation can literally be affected and changed and transformed because of what we do, because of our seeking God. Humble hunger, I think this is your last thing in the outline. Humble hunger can change history. And it has time and again. Humble hunger can change history, and it has many times. Let me just give you one example as we get ready to pray. The second great awakening happened in the United States and around a lot of parts of the world. It started in the late 1700s, the last few years of the 1700s, 
people started praying. The church started praying like it had not been praying. It really broke out in the early 1800s. And it wasn't known as the Great Awakening then. It was just a prayer movement. And then it was a revival and then it became known as like an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and like, you know, it was a time where literally our whole nation and a lot of places around the world, like, turned back to God, had gone so far away from God. We act like it's only in the year 2019 that our nation has been far away from God. Read history. The late 1700s, we were in a mess. Far from God. Church was dying, dwindling. And this happened. They started praying and God started moving. And there was a great revival that lasted many, many years into the 1800s. And from that, let me tell you what came out of the second, what was later called the Second Great Awakening, okay, by historians. It can be traced back to the Second Great Awakening, the whole modern-day missionary movement. What now we call missions, right, and mission trips and missionaries, that would go out from this nation into the nations of the world. And countless millions of souls have come into the kingdom of God because of those missionaries, that missionary movement that's gone around the world. You may not know this, but the abolition of slavery in the United States can be historically traced back to the Second Great Awakening. It was a move of God, not a political movement. It started in the house of God. It started in the hearts of the pe people of God. And that affected the political climate of the nation. No politician abolished slavery. Thank you, Jesus, for Abraham Lincoln and all them. Guess who spoke that? It was Father God. It started in a movement of prayer. It, the Spirit was poured out on God's people, and that literally shaped our history as a nation. Can be traced back to the second, this can be traced back to the uh, second great awakening. What we now know as popular education, I'm not going to get all into that, but now like all kids get an education, right? Okay, how about Bible societies? Anybody ever heard of a Gideon? You ever been to a hotel room and opened the drawer and there was a Gideon Bible, right? Well, they're just one Bible society of many and like, like uh, Wycliffe that goes around the world and translates the Bible into all the languages. that. It... A, a lot of those Bible societies that now the world has the Bible and all these translations and all that could be traced back to the Second Great Awakening. Sunday school, the whole idea of kids' church <laughs> came out of the Second Great Awakening. And I'm not going to get into the details of it, but many of what we now have as social benefits in our nation, they were rooted and came out of the social transformation that came out of the Second Great Awakening. Revival starts with us, but it can transform a nation. And it can change history. Let's stand to our feet. We try to end at 12.30. Sometimes that happens. Today it didn't. <laughs> and I'm not going to keep you for a lot longer, but I, I do want to ask that before we go, let's pray. Because I believe today is an important day for us to respond.
See, we can't just hear the word of God. We have to heed the word of God. We can't just hear what he's speaking to us. We need to do it. And James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. Be careful if you're allowing pride in your heart to keep you from being hungry for God and for pursuing God because you may literally find yourself in a position where it's God himself who's holding his hand in front of you and holding you back and resisting you. Say, God doesn't resist people. Yes, he does. Sometimes he resists his own people because of the pride that's in our heart. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's just the opposite. Rather than having a hand holding us back, we have a hand at our back pushing us forward when we are humble. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before a great fall. And why am I saying this about pride at the end? Because we need to go back to humility, to the reality, whether you feel it in your heart right now or not. The reality is you need Jesus. You need him. I need him. I don't just need church. I don't just need to read the Bible. I don't just need to pray. I don't just need good services. I don't need just to sing good worship songs. I need him to move in my heart. I need him to touch my heart. I need him to move in my life. I need him to move in my family. We need you, God, as a church. We're so thankful for the great church family you've given us. We're so thankful for all you've done and the miracles we've seen. We're so thankful today for how you have moved in our midst. But God, we really, truly, desperately need you. Do something. Do something new. Do something fresh. We know that you have opened heaven over us, Lord. And we are here today to humbly confess our need for you broken before you Lord we need more we need more God we're not waiting we're not waiting for one day for a revival to come we are here today knowing it is available we know that all heaven is open and available to us we know your presence is totally available. We know your power is available. Your glory is available. Your love, your grace, your mercy, it's all available to us in Jesus. It's all available to us by the Holy Spirit today. We need you. We need you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Come on, let's just take a minute and humble ourselves and seek his face.